Field and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Welcome in Reno, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. You heard it. John Von Tobel is at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar at Treasure Island Cofield here on the road in San Diego. Actually, a big basketball weekend for uh, both of the schools in state. There's more than just two, but uh, Nevada, John, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Loyola. And uh, I'm here in San Diego for UNLV in San Diego. UNLV also a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yes, they are. Very interested, Steve. Very interested. Because well, this is a true, home, first, uh, true road test. And the Toreros, I don't know if they have like a dominant home court, but it is kind of somewhat interesting. I mean, it was kind of a foreign environment when they played in that so And the, as they called them, the traveling gophers. I was very surprised by the uh, blue hairs that were out there in force for Minnesota when they were playing. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Um, but, no, it's interesting to get that. It is, as some handicappers would call, a revenge spot as San Diego came out here last year and got smacked around and uh, will be looking to take revenge against a team that I would say is better um, than the team that they played. So I am very interested to see how the Rebels respond. And the uh, Nevada game is big. They actually have a, a two-game swing here. I, I think they're going back. We should probably check on that. But they play Loyola and Pepperdine in back-to-back road games. Uh, I think it's, uh, well, I know tomorrow, and then I think it's on Wednesday. So if they could win those, that would be uh, a hell of a start, 9-1 and one for Nevada. So we'll get a, into a little college basketball a uh, little later in the show. We're going to talk to uh, Raiders insider, former Oakland Raider, Stanford Route, in just a couple minutes. It's Von Tobel, it's Cofield, it's Ari. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number Four. John, I'm going to have to admit, while I have enjoyed watching the U.S. in the World Cup, I have not watched enough of the rest of the World Cup. Very insular, just uh, very pro-American, not caring much about the other games. Mm. I think that's sad because I think I'm missing some good things, and apparently uh, Japan was a big story. Uh, yeah, so Japan beat Spain yesterday. It was tremendous. And here, here's the thing. So what's going to be the story is, of course, the way that they won. So for those who didn't see it, essentially the ball is going out of play. And by certain angles, the ball is out of play for Japan. But uh, one of the Japanese players gets his shin on it and centers it perfectly for his teammate to then score and give them what was a game-winning goal, and they end up winning 2-1. The story for me is not so much the way that it happened because they use VAR, so they go and they have all like the different planes, and you can see that while if you looked at it horizontally, it looked like it was out, the ball was in still, still inside on the vertical plane, so the goal counted. So while that is great, I, as a pig-headed American, wanted to bring this back to football that we know and love, which is, you know, American football. Why are we still using old men in chains to measure first downs and touchdowns when we have the technology to see if a ball is in play on the vertical plane in soccer. It's insanity. Why do you think it's the case? I don't I think I would assume it's like a uh, do the refs have a uh, what's it called an association, right? Like a union? Of course. Would it be like That's a what union I was thinking thing? too is that have they fought right. against it? I mean would, would the NFL actually capitulate to the referees and and not use technology that so many other sports have because, well, it might 
make the refs a little more irrelevant. I mean, baseball baseball's done it, and the umps, I'm sure, maybe they battled a little bit, but we're, we're there, man. We're getting you know, testing in the minors of balls and strikes. We've got a lot more replay than we ever had before. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you can do it in soccer, I would imagine you could do this in American football, and the, the, the chain gang thing is completely ridiculous. And frankly, the other thing, too, is shouldn't there be a sensor in the ball? Yes, absolutely. Like, like we talk about this all the time, right, where the runner just has to cross the plane, but we're sitting there watching, like, Zabruder film, wondering if the guy's, like, knee is down at the same time. And, like, like it's absolutely ridiculous when it comes to the technology aspect and what you can do when there's this eagle-eye stuff in tennis, when there's VAR and soccer. Like, there's so many different things that you could do to make this product better. Done. how about just simply marking the ball after plays? I mean, I, I sit there and watch, and I'm like, hey, that was a terrible mark. Either, you know, too far forward, yep. too far back. These guys are way off. Uh, by the way, have, so we talk about all the time, Steve, the most random play in sports is the block charge. I would attest the most random player decision in sports is the umpire on the sideline judging where the punt goes out of bounds because I have no uh, idea how they get that accurate right. and how nobody yeah, and how nobody even complains about it. And there's times where the ball goes out and he keeps, like, running on the sideline and you're like, <laughs> stop. Number three. Amazing. We'll uh, we'll have a little more on USA Soccer uh, later this hour. Weird story out. I don't even understand why this is being rehashed about who the Broncos really wanted instead of Russell Wilson at quarterback. Yeah, this is why I think that when you kind of hit on what I sent this in for, this is not a story. The original, like we know all this, on the day of the NFL draft last year, uh, or the year before, no, it was last year, I bet the, the Denver Broncos to win the Super Bowl. Why? Because the rumors started to pick up that they were going to go and get Aaron Rodgers. And so I bet them they were at the time like 60-1 to 1 to do it. And ultimately they didn't do it. They get Russell Wilson, and you're still excited about that, but ultimately we know how it flames out. This is not a story. What this is is, I guess you want to call it Denver media, like the New York media, uh, Again, just doing anything possible to kind of pile on to this guy. There's no point. There's no. There's nothing new here that we're learning with a, a report coming out that the Broncos wanted Russell Wilson first. We all know that. What's the point of releasing this? Number two. John, how awful was that last night with the Patriots? You know, this is a story we talked about during the offseason. I, I can't tell you how many football people tried to kind of – Reduce the impact of the story, the refusal by Belichick to actually name an offensive coordinator, and then who does he have working with these offensive players, and especially Mac Jones. This is completely absurd, and it all came to a head last night. Yeah, this is, I think, one of Belichick's worst and best coaching jobs in a football season because <laughs> I think defensively he's getting a lot out of a unit that I didn't really think was going to be that good. And, you know, a couple of weeks back before they got beat up by Minnesota, they led the league in EPA per play defensively, and I thought he was squeezing lemonade out of a rock when it came to that defense. But at the same time, this offense has been set back. Your franchise quarterback has been set back by your refusal to go out and get a real coordinator to run your offense with Josh McDaniels now gone. And it comes to a head yesterday where against the Buffalo Bills, you get limited to just 10 points, seven of which came in the first quarter. And after that, your offense did absolutely nothing. And Mac Jones comes to the sideline and is caught on cameras screaming, uh, throw the effing ball, we suck, or we can't run the ball, whatever his choice of words was. And I got to tell you, Steve, I love it. 
because at the end of the day, we're all going to laugh at Matt Patricia, and fire Matt Patricia is going to be trending on Twitter. But you know who's going to be labeled as a bust after this year? You know whose career is probably in jeopardy after this season? It's Mac Jones. And if I'm him, I'm pissed. Because remember, too, because it's not just this. Remember like two, like a month or so ago when I sent you in the story of Ben Volin just running with a fake story about Matt Jones and his attitude in the locker room? Jones is getting destroyed here in this season by factors all around him. And look, he hasn't played that well. But if I'm him, I totally understand blowing up on the sideline. Because at the end of the day, Matt Patricia can fail upwards into another coordinator job whenever he wants. If I'm here, dude, I'm screwed. We'll get to number one here in just one second. This whole conversation actually gets me thinking of um, Mac Jones having no choice of who coaches him. Did you see the news that a uh, Reno area native Cade McNamara is going to leave Michigan? Did you see where the quarterback decided to go play? Another Big Ten school. <laughs> yes, I saw. Why, Why would you do that? He went to Iowa, and I, there are whispers that Brian uh, Ferentz, the son of the head coach, may not be the OC next year. I mean, I would have to think, like, is there any way you go there as a quarterback with what you saw this year from their offense? Why the hell would a quarterback go there? Absolutely not. Uh, unless, for some reason, there weren't any other Power 5 offers. But I would think that he has something out there for him. But I, I have no idea. Given how bad that offense has been and how they're not willing to do anything about it, I don't know why you would ever want to go there unless it's just, hey, I don't have any other Power 5 options and I want to stay within the conference and stay in the relative geographical area of where I was playing. Number one. All right, easy transition to a little more college football. Dion is going to drag this out into the weekend and maybe early next week. Dion Sanders has been courted by several schools. He's at Jackson State, the, uh, the Hall of Fame NFL cornerback. He's at Jackson State. They're unbeaten this year. I think he's like 25-4 and four in, you know, two and three-quarter seasons. It's Colorado. It's South Florida. It's Cincinnati. What do those schools all have in common? Well, now they're all Power 5. I mean, at least coming up, since he and South Florida are moving to right. Power 5. Supposedly, Colorado has offered a package worth about $5 million a year. There's some escalators in there to get it to $5 million. What's your reaction to that kind of money being thrown out there by Colorado for Dion? Uh, I totally get it. I mean, look, sometimes at the end of the day, I don't know exactly how good Dion Sanders is from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, so I'm not going to judge him from that perspective. I'm not going to act like Washington State. But he's made that program relevant. Has financial backing that will come with it clearly. And I think in – think about this too, Steve, from like a Pac-12 perspective. If you're Colorado – if I can get D, if Dion wants to go in there, hey, USC and uh, UCLA are leaving. If I hit the ground running here and bring a staff that's good enough and start loading up on talent, this could be my cons. Why would you not take that if the money's going to be here? I got to say, I'm impressed. I didn't think they'd have that kind of commitment to put up that kind yeah. of money. Um, and it also shows, you know, because there's been a lot of chatter out there about the open UNLV job and stuff being cheap and, you know, spend more money. UNLV is not going to get up to an offer with incentives that's worth five mil. And frankly, I'm not even sure you have to pay. That, that's the other thing in this whole coaching search this week uh, down here in Las Vegas for the uh, Reno folks who haven't paid attention. So much of the chatter from media people and fans is all about money. And I, I really don't think it's about money. I think they have enough money to pay a good coach and 
in Group of Five and in the Mountain West Conference, you don't have to pay someone three, four, five million dollars to get a good coach. There's a lot of good coaches who are willing to work for, you know, the paltry sum of a million and a half, one seven five. Uh, but that is a statement by Colorado, especially because they're in competition with Cincinnati and South Florida. And I don't know if those schools want to put up that kind of money. That said, if I were him, I guess I shouldn't say this because I don't know about the infrastructure at all three schools well enough to really give a good opinion on it. But from the outside looking in, I actually think of the three, the most attractive is South Florida. Uh, but I would also say I may not take any of the three. Right. I'd also say, uh, like, I wonder, is Colorado the Under Armour school? Because I think that has something to do with it as well. Dion, of course, okay. being linked to Under Armour and where he might end up going. So he is going to drag this through the weekend. Do you think he's going to sit at a table with hats? Yeah, I, I read a report that he's doing Sunday. Like Sunday's the announcement I, day. I don't know if Sunday. he's going to sit with a table with hats. I would love if he like <laughs> brought a, a live buffalo out from the back and was like, I'm going to Colorado. <laughs> All right. Someone going to have a, a tame buffalo for him or is a, the buffalo? <laughs> Right. A buffalo. And then it takes a dump all over the gym that he's in. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's do a giveaway right here. 364-1100-364-1100. We got a uh, Porta Sub, six-foot sub. You also qualify to win a new Yeti cooler. That's courtesy of Finley Volvo in Las Vegas. Porta Sub, six-footer. Right now, 364-1100. Call our 7364-1100. Thanks to Finley Volvo of Las Vegas. And Porta Subs, Ari's got your prize. I think you have to treat this game as its own entity. We understand what's happening next week. We can't really control that, you know, and I think we're in a one game at a time part of the year now. So we're going to do what we can do, the best we can do it to try to, you know, be victorious on Sunday. And then we'll deal with the aftermath after the game. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Rout on Cofield and Company. Yeah, in a nice way, McDaniel's saying, let's worry about what we got in front of us. We've already had enough trouble this year uh, being, you know, focused and playing our best game to game. Don't worry about the Rams game and the quick turnaround on Thursday night football. Let's get right to Stanford Route, our NFL insider on Fridays, former Oakland Raiders. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good, fellas. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Stanford, of course, does his uh, podcast, uh, Believe in Raiders podcast with Dennis Ackerman. You can check that out up on uh, Twitter and all uh, podcast platforms. So um, what's your what's been your reaction? What's been the chatter on the podcast about this uh, two game winning streak here from the Raiders? Oh, wow. I think it uh, pretty much is kind of like you just hit it right on the head. The two game winning streak. Obviously, both of them have come in walk off fashion within overtime. And you look at the Denver Broncos. Obviously, they're one of the lower teams within the NFL right now, especially in the offense side of the ball with Russell Wilson. And then you see the Seattle Seahawks, a team that has surprised many. Obviously, seeing how a Geno Smith is played and being able to go ahead and, and grit their teeth and persevere and be able to come back tie the game up, be able to then take the victory in overtime with emphatic fashion with Josh Jacobs, by the way, pay the man, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And I think that uh, just seeing how this team is now responding to adversity, and albeit those two wins were not against Super Bowl contenders, but they're still wins against, uh, let's just go ahead and say quality teams. Uh, it just makes you wonder exactly what they can go ahead and finish this year with now that you've got the Chargers coming up on Sunday. 
Stanford, one of the things I've noticed, 50 targets for Devontae Adams in the last four games. He had just over 60 in the first seven. Is that just a, hey, target him more, or are they just uh, are they drawing up more plays? What's been the difference? Because they've been going at him a lot. Yeah, I think that uh, for Devontae Adams, he he's a volume type of guy. You see how Green Bay used him, Aaron Rodgers. They fed him. I think he what he led the NFL in targets last year, or was or was very high on the list. That's how you got to get him going. He's your best offensive weapon, or should I say, one of? Now that you got Josh Jacobs over here playing like he's the best running back in the league or second best right behind Derrick Henry so I think you got to continue to feed those guys you got to continue to feature those guys you got to ride that hot hand and that's exactly how they've been able to put up this offensive production that they've been able to amass over the last two games so coming into this game against the Chargers you mentioned Josh Jacobs pay the guy uh well of course the calf injury not gonna seem to bother him maybe he's listed as questionable I've read that he's probably gonna give this thing a go but I would assume not only just because of his play but because of the way the Chargers play he's got a big game in front of him again here right the Chargers run defense is not very good yeah he's got definitely a big game in front of him I think that uh these remaining these remaining six games they're big games for him because he's in a contract year and I think that uh no matter what whether you're still in the playoff race whether you're not in the playoff race all of that Josh Jacobs he, he clearly wants a new deal he clearly does not like the fact that they declined his fifth year option and I agree and I think that uh going forward throughout the remainder of the season throughout down the stretch I think you're going to see a man running on a mission Stanford route, former Oakland Raider up with Cofield and company, John Von Tobel and Steve Cofield. So uh, one of the other things that was pretty impressive last week and has been better of late Stanford has been the run defense. What do you think they did? Is it, uh, you know, talent emerging here? Some of the fill-in guys? Is it scheme? Is it the job of the D.C.? Why have they gotten a little better against the run, especially last week? Against I think they probably just putting a little bit more emphasis on it, maybe putting another safety in the box, changing the math when it comes to the, the, the defensive line versus the offensive line, and as far as just the run fits. So I think that uh, when you add all of that together, and whenever you go ahead and put that all together on the defense side of the ball, if you're able to stop the run, now you're able to dictate to the offense because now you're bringing up third and long situations, second and long, where the offense has to get back on track rather than it being a second and five, a second and four, third and one, third and two, things like that. So whenever you're able to stop the run, good things happen soon thereafter. Stanford, around the league, what's your reaction to uh, watching Pats and Bills and Mac Jones Really frustrated with what's going on. It's funny, John said earlier, in some ways, this is one of the better coaching jobs that Belichick's done in his career, keeping this team afloat. But the decision to not really have a, a real OC working with this young quarterback has been a disaster. Yeah, that, that's something that has definitely perplexed me. Not having an OC, now having uh, your former defensive coordinator <laughs> calling offensive <laughs> plays, that to me is a head scratcher. But because Bill Belichick is so accomplished because he has so many skins on the wall you're not going to sit back and just completely be completely skeptical when it comes to uh his decisions because he's tried and true he's proven but it definitely does make you scratch your head to a certain degree as far as having a defensive coordinator call offensive plays and now when you've seen mac jones not exactly progress you have not actually seen any maturation out of him that's what now makes you wonder okay starting to look like that wasn't necessarily the best move we got colts and cowboys and some of the shine is wearing off on jeff saturday having some real in-game management troubles <laughs> with uh you know clock and stuff like that uh just your reaction first to you know what's happened here the, the last couple of weeks now with saturday 
Uh, I think that uh, Jeff Saturday is exactly what everybody assumed he would be. He just came out of the analyst chair, and now he's the interim head coach. Y'all really thought he was going to go over there and just light the world on fire? Like, come on now. Indianapolis, they got a pretty good front seven. They got a pretty good defense. They got playmakers on offense. But you still got Matt Ryan being your being your, your play caller, still being the quarterback. And he's not necessarily the same guy he was in Atlanta. I think everybody knows that. But Indianapolis is not, by any stretch, a Super Bowl contender. So what did you really expect out of the Indianapolis right. Colts? Now having a former center, having a analyst turn interim head coach, what did you really expect out of them? And that's why I think when you temper your expectations or you just simply ask yourself, what you truly expected, not based on Jeff Saturday's resume as a player, being the all-pro center, should be a Hall of Famer that he was, I don't think you're going to be too surprised at what Indianapolis has put out on the football field over the last couple of weeks. How about the other side of this game? Put us in the, uh, the player's shoes with the Jerry Jones photo that emerged a little while ago back in his high school days and then... He addressed it. I didn't love the answer. Now LeBron is asking the media why they didn't ask him about it because I always ask him about situations like this. What if you're a player on the Cowboys? Dak seemed like he was okay with it, but what do you think of Jerry Jones? What do I think of Jerry Jones after the photo? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, for or is, one, or I'm, is I'm it right the same here. thing you thought before the photo. I mean, like that didn't change any uh -huh. like my impression in any way. And I say this, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Are we talking about the same Jerry Jones that, that owns the Dallas Cowboys that had nothing to say whenever the George Floyd murder took place in front of everybody's eyes, May 2020? Yep. We're talking about that guy, right? Yep. Are we talking pushed about against, the same? Pushed, pushed, pushed against Colin Kaepernick. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. Did not want to. Did not want to participate in kneeling. Went as far as to basically telling the players. Yeah. Do not kneel. This is the state of Texas. This is how we do things. I'm from Arkansas. This is how we do things in the South. Like so, I'm not at all surprised by the by the photo or the picture. Now I will say this: I do believe, just like what Stephen A. Smith says, I do not believe we should get in the business of now just over scrutinizing and making somebody answer for something that they did when they were 14 years old. Because I think everybody out here that is over the age of 25 or 30, to have to answer for something you did when you were 14, I don't think any of us want to actually have that level of scrutiny and have to stand up and have to explain that. So as far as the picture from 1957, that right there to me, that seems like that's overkill. But everything that Jerry Jones has, has done as a grown man, everything he has done over the age of 35 or 40, everything he's done since he's been owning the Dallas Cowboys, that definitely has the right to be brought into scrutiny. I got a minute left here, Stanford. I uh, wanted to get your take on one other NFL-related story in some ways, but a college football story. If you were Deion Sanders and you, you had you know competitive offers from Colorado, Cincinnati, South Florida, which job would you take? And would you just wait and just wait for another job beyond these jobs? Uh, if I was Deion Sanders, I probably would take the South Florida job just because South Florida is right there in his home state. That's number one. Number two, I think that is a sleeping giant 
the level of talent that they're able to get. All they got to do is just get the quarterback situation uh, right. And I think that that team can take off in the American Athletic Conference. You look at Cincinnati, obviously Luke Fickle leaving them to go to Wisconsin. I'm not sure that they are able to maintain that level of success, be able to go ahead and continue to ascend because they're still in the same state as Ohio State University. So to me, I think South Florida right there is probably the best opportunity because of the talent that they're going to be able to get. All they got to do is just get that quarterback situation joined up. Let's finish up here in 45 seconds on the Raiders and Chargers. Uh, it seems like everyone's betting the Raiders. Will the Raiders win a third straight game? I think the Raiders will win a third, a third straight game. They have to make sure that they stop the deep ball. They stop the big play from Justin Herbert. Make sure that they're able to tackle Austin Eckler in space. And I think if they're able to do that along with protecting Derek Carr and when he does get a sack, because I'm pretty sure they're going to sack him because they got a good pass rush. Whenever that sack does occur, it has to be just a sack. It can't be a sack strip fumble. It can't be a sack, strip, fumble, turnover. It can't be a sack, strip, fumble, return for a touchdown. It can't be any of that. I think if they do those things, they'll be able to come out victorious on Sunday. Stanford, awesome, man. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. You guys be good. Be safe out there. There he is, Stanford Route, the former Oakland Raider. John Von Tobel's at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Remember, now on Saturday and Sunday mornings, they serve breakfast, so they've got uh, – uh, about a half a dozen breakfast items, including the uh, chicken chilaquiles breakfast sandwich that you can take advantage of. They've got bottomless mimosas, the pitcher of Bloody Mary or Bloody Marys. It actually sounded like a person. Bloody Marys. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Inside Treasure Island. Come back, uh, do a little more on Jerry Jones and also what LeBron James was saying the other day. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. What happened? You didn't like my uh, chicken chilaquiles pronunciation? Chilla That's chilla. not, or, or my chorizo con papas? Chorizo. Is that authentic? No, no, it doesn't. My doesn't. Now, as we, I've, I have said many times, I am very uh, self-conscious about my accent when it comes to pronouncing uh Sure. Words in Spanish, and my wife well, laughs. You have, you have a lot time. of pressure. You have a lot of pressure. Right. The the, uh, the in laws can be very judgmental. Yes, but uh, I'm going to go with chilaquiles, um, nice. chorizo con papas. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I like tacos de papa. Those are really good too. I oh, won't be able to match buddy. it. I won't be able to match it. So we were just talking about Jerry Jones and the uh, photo from Little Rock that came out and. You know, I, I saw Jason Williams, who uh, hosts the uh, national morning show with Keyshawn and Max, and he wants Jerry Jones to really speak on this. Um, he's spoken now twice. Um, and LeBron James also went at the media a little bit, and he's like, you know, these race situations, you guys asked me for my opinion on a lot of these, and, like, somehow Jerry Jones just got kind of buried very quickly. Here's LeBron. I was thinking when I was on my way over here, I was wondering – why I haven't gotten a question from you guys about the Jerry Jones photo. But when the Kyrie thing was going on, you guys were quick to ask us questions about that. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I don't even want you guys to say nothing. When I watched Kyrie talk and he says, I know who I am, but I want to keep the same energy when we're talking about my people and the things that we've been through. And that Jerry Jones photo is one of those moments that our people, black people, have been through in America. Anyone mad at those comments? Because I mean, is there anyone out there who won't admit that a lot of these stories are covered differently? 
Some get oh. way more attention than others. Yeah, I, I think like that's 100%. I mean, like the Kyrie thing was a thing for a really long time, and rightfully so. Right, like that—that that was should have been a topic that was a hot topic and discussed many, many times for hours and ad nauseum and whatnot. This thing, I mean, for me at least, when it came to my content, and maybe it's just because of my feed and whatever I do and my algorithm. I mean, I saw this pop up once, and that was it. Outside of the LeBron thing, I didn't see much of it in terms of the coverage for Jerry Jones in that photo. And I feel like as a black man, as a black athlete, as someone with power and a platform when we do something wrong or or something that people don't agree with it's on every single tabloid every single news coverage it's on the bottom ticker it's asked about every single day but it seems like to me that the whole jerry jones situation photo and i know it was years and years ago and we all make mistakes i get it but it seemed like it's just been buried under like oh it happened okay we just we just move on and i was just kind of disappointed that i haven't received that question from you guys appreciate it it is uh, it is amazing how a lot of people just Moved on, and I understand the defense that Stephen A. has thrown out there and Stanford Route threw out there a little while ago about, you know, being accountable for what you did or how you looked or an event you were at when you were 14. Uh, the problem is a guy who was reared in the South in that environment has been very shaky in many race relations stories around the NFL and beyond. Jerry Jones has been pretty consistent. The other thing is if you actually look at his organization for the 30-plus years he's owned it, they really don't have a very good track record in terms of African-American hires. Well, and, and that's why, for those who don't know, the reason why this, this picture came out was because there was a story being written about just that, about the Cowboys' lack of minority hires. And so this picture uh, was part of the story right? that was dug up. And I, I think that you hit on the most important point here because you see a lot of people and that echo what Stanford said. Oh, I don't want to hold him accountable. He was 14. It was 1950, whatever it was. Yeah, you could make that argument if in the years prior Jerry Jones had a long and rich storied history of supporting the black community minorities and hiring them and making them part of what he'd been doing to be successful. That hasn't been the case. And he's also been on the, uh, I would say, just the wrong side or the odd side of what's been happening. That's why you, this is still a story. He had a plan behind the scenes with uh, Papa Putz, uh, Schnatz, Right. to freaking push back on the whole kneeling thing all the way to the point where he wanted to get Roger Goodell fired. His actions speak louder than just that one picture from 55 or 65 years ago. Battleborn Sports Hour brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. So getting ready for tonight's Pac-12 title game, 5 o'clock, USC in town against Utah. And uh, Petros from Petros and Money, USC guy, L.A. guy is up with us. So uh, tell me about your excitement level here, you know, not only as a you know local media person in L.A., but as a USC guy for uh, the Trojans with a chance here to lock up a CFP berth. Well, i got to be honest, Steve, uh, I don't get excited about much. I'm kind <laughs> of a budget. Yeah, uh, right. But it's, good. it's great for the city. It's kind of... It's kind of sad that both USC and UCLA really flexed this year and showed how much fun the Pac-12 can be if the L.A. schools are doing well because it gets better attention on the East Coast for all the reasons we know. So that part of it is cool, and I'm a little bit surprised. I thought USC would probably be like a two-loss team as opposed to a one-loss, and I suppose they still can be before 
the college football playoff does or doesn't come knocking. So uh, my level of surprise is not super high, and my level of excitement is non-existent. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think Lincoln Riley did to, you know, you knew they'd be good, but to get him to this level, what's worked? Or is it simply Caleb Williams? Well, that's a big part of it. I mean, they've gotten into a big situation over and over again just because of the nature of the offense and who they have on defense and some injuries they've had where he wills victories. I mean, he will not let them lose. He plays, it seems like he's kind of playing out of control, but the turnovers and things like that don't happen. And quite simply, he's been sensational in the last seven weeks. It's hard to believe that somebody's been playing better football than him. That's a big part of it, but, I mean, they did have a a miraculous turnaround, and they brought in a lot of transfers. There's no doubt about that. But throwing money at a problem, which is exactly what they did, doesn't always solve that problem. If you look at the situation at Texas A&M, that's a great example of it. And We've seen money thrown at all kinds of problems. Guys given exactly what they want, their staff, their house, their whole NIL collective, and it falls apart. At USC, it worked because it looks as if either they identified and got the right guy or the right guy identified and got them. And we'll probably never know what really happened in the 11th hour to hire Lincoln Riley until about a decade from now. But either way, It was a huge windfall for West Coast football. And, I mean, you think about the team that USC had last year after they lost and gave up 60-some points to UCLA, I guess which they almost did this year again in victory. Uh, You look at that, and then they could almost barely field a team up at Berkeley. For a USC football team, that's deeply embarrassing. And the team almost had, you know, no will or fire, and it was really just kind of lost. So Lincoln Riley coming in and staffing it up and trying to develop the people that were there and transferring in a lot of guys and having a little bit of luck with health has been everything for them. So good luck to them. They deserve all of the credit. Petros from Petros and Money, AM570 in L.A., is up with us, also a Fox broadcaster. We'll get to the Mountain West Conference game here in a minute. Um, On the field, can you explain how this defense gives up 300 yards in the air so often but makes up for it with uh, ball hawking? How the hell do you have a defense like this but you're plus 24 in turnovers? Well, that happened early in the year where they just got a slew of turnovers in a couple of games. And teams would move the ball really well. And it's kind of hard to imagine a team that hasn't moved the ball against USC this year. Everybody has moved the ball, but they kind of had a bend-but-don't-break attitude. Early in the year, they were forcing a lot of turnovers. And then later in the year, they came again, uh, in particular against UCLA, to win that game. But there was kind of a drought in the middle of the season. And if you ever talk to Alex Grinch, that defensive coordinator, he was a deeply frustrated man throughout uh, big chunks of the year and really trying to hard to challenge that defense. Now, that's kind of who he is, right? If you have a coach who's an offensive coach and he's always thinking about the next great play call 
And that doesn't mean he's a bad coach. It just means he's an offensive coach. They have a tendency to put a little bit more stress on their defense than maybe a coach that has a proclivity towards complementary football. And Grinch has coached for a lot of guys like that. I mean, he coached for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. He coached for Mike Leach at Washington State. You know, he had a little bit of a stint at Ohio State, but he's a guy who's supposed to figure out how the defense has got to hang on, maybe force some turnovers so the offense can get their 45 points. And it's hard to argue with the results. They've won, and they've done it without probably their best defender for a really long stretch of the season. Gentry, the linebacker transfer from Arizona State, kind of emerged as their best defensive player. They've played a really long stretch without him, among others. And that really kind of changed a lot of the personnel grouping that they were in and kind of really set people up to run the ball on them. So Utah's going to play them really tough. Utah's always very tough. They're not going to have a waltz through Las Vegas and win this in any kind of comfortable way. So it should be very interesting tonight. Pac-12 title game is on the way. Give me the vibe in L.A. in terms of attendance and the vibe in the USC community. Because I know, you know, we know Utah very well as a border state, just like California. Utah Utes fans will be here. They'll be here to the tune of 10, 15, maybe 20,000 fans. USC fans going to travel? Yeah, they'll travel to that. I think that they, they already had a news story here that they sold a bunch of tickets. USC football is a lot like UCLA basketball and maybe a little bit like the Lakers in town, although that's more complex because it's so expensive to go to a Laker game. But most certainly the Dodgers in town, which is probably Los Angeles' biggest sports product. The Los Angeles Dodgers are the most visited sport on earth because of the size of Dodger Stadium and the attendance that they do every year. And USC is a sleeping giant. There's all kinds of people in town who went to USC, who are connected to USC, the entire infrastructure of the city, judges, lawyers, all kinds of people. And all of that stands to attention when USC football starts winning. And they've had some long lulls in the past. I remember the 90s, and then Pete Carroll came and, things changed almost overnight where people became interested again and they started filling up the Coliseum. And it happened overnight here again with Lincoln Riley. So there's a tremendous amount of interest in town for this, yeah. Petros with us from Petros and Money. He's uh, working with Fox. He's going to be on the call of the Mountain West championship game. That's a 1 o'clock start on Saturday. So give me your take on, on this one between Boise and Fresno. Yeah, I work around UNLV football, so I got to see Fresno up close this year. Last year, I think they're a good team. They're led by a great quarterback, excellent offensive talent. I question their ability to stop the run, and the problem is Boise's really started to run the ball, and their new quarterback is a crazy good athlete at his size. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup. I did the first game when they played against each other, and Fresno did not have Jake Hayner. And obviously, Boise went through a big kind of lull in their season when they ended up firing their coordinator and their quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, left, and Taylor Green took over, and Dirk Cutter took over as the OC, and they kind of didn't look back from there as far as controlling 
their half of the conference. And then Fresno won seven straight games to put themselves here. The other thing people don't talk about as much in regard to the run was Fresno's gotten Evan Williams back, who is like the Jay Kaner of their defense. Now, all Mountain West safety type of guy. And he'd been hurt for a long stretch, just like Hayner, and from the same game, I believe. So now that he's all the way back up, they look a little bit different on both sides of the ball. And he's a little bit like Caleb Williams in a different way, but he is a real X factor in these games. And he'll find people and find a way to to win. I mean, what he did against San Diego State, another game we did down the stretch, was, was miraculous and uh, really fun to watch. So you have that versus Boise's kind of more. They had an offensive coordinator that was a spread out, throw the ball a bunch type of guy with a defensive-minded head coach in Andy Avalos, hmm. a big giant quarterback that can run, sit, standing on the sideline, not playing, and a stable of three pretty good backs. So they decided to kind of change their identity mid-season with Dirk Cutter, and it worked. So I love the matchup again because we wanted to see this the first time around. Fresno on the blue with Hayner under center and Evan Williams playing safety, and they have that now. So I I expect a great back-and-forth battle and uh, two really well-coached teams and weird year in the Mountain West where everybody seemed to kind of have an identity crisis early in the season, all the teams that we thought were going to be really special. Uh, but uh, coming to fruition at the end of it, two teams that you'd probably expect to see normally there. Last one, Petros. Uh, 90 seconds left here because I know you're uh, busy uh, on this Friday. Uh, wanted to ask you, you're a Pac-12 guy, USC and UCLA Bolton for the Big Ten. You don't sound exactly thrilled about that. Pac-12, <laughs> Pac-12 with the void. What are they going to do? Are they going to add San Diego State? Is that? I mean, I keep seeing, hey, they want Southern California. It's to, to me, it's not, that's not. It is Southern California, but it's not from a market standpoint. And then, does the Pac-12? Do you, as a Pac-12 guy, do you want to see more schools from the Mountain West, UNLV, Boise, Fresno? What happens with the Pac-12? I don't know. I, I think the Pac-12 is just worth a lot less money, yeah. right? I mean, they're still going to get a deal, and they're going to add whoever they want to add if they still exist. Uh, and they're going to get a deal because somebody's got to play those games and somebody wants to put those games on in the time slot. So all of that is still prevalent. It's not like the Pac-12, unless it gets totally poached by the Big Ten, which is a, a distinct possibility as we move forward here. You know, and I don't hate the fact that SC and UCLA went to the Big Ten. I understand why it happened. I I know what happened uh, more than a decade ago. The Pac-12 did a terrible deal with Larry Scott, and they doubled down. The money was there. They didn't take it. They didn't want a TV partner. Larry Scott ruined, I mean ruined, West Coast football in so many ways. And the whole thing's been bleeding out for a decade. So the fact that everybody thinks that something can be done now to change it, It doesn't matter. I mean, you let this, everybody was complicit for the last 10 years watching this thing slowly die. And it it hurts the cachet of everybody on the West Coast if they're not playing SC or UCLA. And San Diego State, as you know, doesn't fix that. No. Uh, Nobody does. So I'm interested in the future, but I mean, I think 
I try to tell people to stop thinking about it as a <laughs> like ESP, like don't think about it as the Pac-12 or or the Big Ten versus the SEC. You know, think about it as ESPN repping the SEC and the Pac-12 repping the Big Ten, and then everybody picking sides from there in the future as we move away from the NCAA model, which has to happen. Petros, great spot. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great one today, and uh, good luck on the coaching search for the Rebels. All right, Petros, I appreciate it, man. Thank you.